if you want to become a principal engineer, you need to you need to be aware that it involves leadership, whether you like it or not. Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and embracing the dumpster fire that is the modern Star Trek fandom. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I believe there is little in life as pleasant as the smell of freshly cut grass under a pile of deep, deep snow. And today on the show, we're talking with Sylvia Botros, Principal Engineer at Twilio Sengrid. Good, good afternoon. Good Welcome, afternoon. Sylvia. So, so tell us about how you've uh, gotten to where you are today as a principal engineer at Twilio Syngrid, you know, back all the way up to uh, the first time you were selling ice cream or whatever it is that got you, got you to where you are today. So that's going to take a while. Um, so I'm, uh, I, I started off, I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant. So when I moved to the States, I was like halfway through my engineering degree back in Egypt, um, uh, learned very quickly that you can't really, you know, transfer credits that way. So um, I decided to start mm-hmm. over here in the States. Um, I was right here in Southern California. I went to school, first community school, and, uh, community college. And then um, I finished my degree over in Cal State Fullerton, go Titans. Um, mm-hmm. Immediately after I finished, I moved to the East Coast. My husband, uh, my new husband at the time, uh, was just starting his uh, medical training. So my first job in tech post-degree was um, uh, was in New York in a now long gone CDN. Uh, I that was my first introduction to Python. I had uh, done some internship uh, during college with a with the a DBA on on uh, on campus who uh, was in charge of the alumni association database, and that was my first uh, foray into databasing. But it was more like SQL and write and generating reports for uh, for fundraising. And then I went to New York. I worked there, and I started to, touching all sorts of billing code and uh, Django UI code. Um, very mm-hmm. quickly, uh, I discovered that the scripts that we were running that were supposed to do the billing were taking over 24 hours to finish, which is not very <laughs> efficient if you are supposed to run this thing every 24 hours. Um, long story short, yeah. a few days later, I'm like knee deep in my SQL documentation, realized that this database that runs that company basically was sprung up and never tuned, like not even buffer <laughs> pool tuned. So I'm sure this never um, that was happens. the first time. It never happens. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Like all startups basically make sure they read Baron Schwartz's book before they t- they start their database, right? No, they don't. Totally, it's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. So oh, I mean, man. looking back, to be honest, I'm like, how did they even like were okay with letting me, fresh grad out of college, to be the person digging into the billing database and trying to figure it out? But maybe also that's why that entire company went defunct a year later and got bought out by a competitor during the market <laughs> crash. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask what company this was, but maybe it's best to leave it at the name. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. These are stories for after the recording. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, to be honest though, like there are still people I work with at that job who are still good friends of mine and uh, we still keep in touch and I've learned so much about things like uh, server management. It was a CDN, so we had to manage our own servers and all sorts of pops all over the world. So I learned about networking, backbone, uh, uh, core routers, things that I never would have imagined to learn about in college. So it was very, very educational. Uh, fast forward is, a few years later. Uh, 
Go ahead. Well, wait, yeah, Sylvia, what was what what did you study in college? I was in computer science. Mm-hmm. She started okay. with engineering. But in the computer and then science over. stuff, it wasn't okay. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. The uh, there's not a whole lot of detail to like like it. What the program over in Fullerton is not super. Um, at least back when I was there, it wasn't very. Well, um, it's not going to train you to find this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, tend you have to, to like, be. You have to be a leader at heart. <laughs> to find these I problems. I know. If you're, if you're going into software, for some reason, I don't know why, like if you're going into software, software engineering degree, they don't teach you about how the networking works under the hood. And I really don't yeah. know why. I wish they yeah. did. But also we yeah. always wish post fact that they taught us about, you know, proper English writing in engineering school too, which is also a missing thing. Oh, <laughs> but we'll get to that. I, for what so it's worth, far. I, I have so an English degree. <laughs> Yeah, I have an English degree. They didn't teach us how to do proper English writing, if it makes you feel any better. So, uh, That's just disheartening. <laughs> yeah, Sadness. So a, few years, a few years later after uh, we got acquired, like um, as, as that particular acquisition, it was, it was in the kind of a state where um, it was more acquired the customer base and less about technology. So a few years later, um, I was basically done. And that's when I wanted to move back. By that point, I had a kid. Uh, my husband was almost done with his medical training and I wanted to come back to uh, SoCal where I have family. And that's when I found SendGrid. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. with, uh, the, with with SendGrid for seven plus years now. I am a new Twilion as of a month ago. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster. When I joined SendGrid, it was like 60 people total, mm-hmm. maybe 20-ish engineers. I distinctly remember we sent 112 million with an M emails that first day. Now that's like less than one hour of email volume, I suppose. Um, <laughs> wow. So yeah, the, the orders of magnitude of growth that I've encountered uh, since I took the job at Sengrid have been, uh, I've lost count. So it's been, and it's been great. When you joined Twilio, so I have a, I have a couple of friends that work at Twilio Syngrid, I guess now, and uh, one of them recently joined, and it's my understanding that they ask you to draw the owl. Is that correct? Did they ask you to draw the owl when you joined Twilio? <laughs> Not exact. And first of all, like nobody wants to see me try to draw anything, much less even write. Like I'm married <laughs> to a physician, I have worse handwriting than he does. That's how bad it is. So, well, and they'd have to no like have to do this for everybody, right? I mean, come on, you have to all draw the, like, the owl all at once. <laughs> no, it's it's. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be a stick figure owl. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, even the, the, the handwriting owl. thing. There's a very large class of us because I would include myself in that. That uh, you know, simply would not be effective communicators if it were not for computers and typing. Like, I, I mean, if if I was expected to communicate uh, with handwriting, we'd we'd all be in trouble, including myself and notes to myself. They would be worthless. Oh, so no. I stand you, by oh, yeah. with that. Do you think that it's maybe better? Uh, it would have been better if you people couldn't communicate via typing. Like people would have to really want to say something, really weigh the value of what they're going to write down <laughs> more than just type, 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 send. I think this is the modern internet for you right there. The lack of effort right? required like, to communicate. Sit down and think it through maybe first. 
totally. So, yeah. so to, although to, I'd probably be better at drawing emojis. Go to, ahead, Rachel. To rein us back into the subject of leadership and authority. Um, so you've come, you, you came a long way at at SendGrid, right before the before the Twilio um, merger acquisition, whatever. Um, I I'm curious as to like was was there a was there a um, uh, a growth matrix in place when you arrived, or was it built under you as you leveled up, or how did that go? God, you know, yeah. So back when I started at SendGrid, like uh, titles were very haphazard. It sort of depended on like the person who was doing the hiring gets to decide what the title is. There was yeah, yeah. no no ladder, no career ladder of any kind. Uh, it was basically just engineer and senior engineer. And because I was hired as a DBA and I was the first one for that role, it was basically like my SQL DBA is your title. So it didn't even relate at all to like software engineer or engineering in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it was this the usual like startup situation where it's like a quote unquote flat org. Uh, we're not worried about titles. We're just building things. Uh, not in a, you know, at the time, it, the focus was on other things, as mm-hmm. it, rightfully so. Like you're growing this fast, you're not going to focus on titles and worry about that yet. Oh yeah, um, Splunk was totally was that... like that, <laughs> too. Yeah, well, I mean, was that fun? Like, like being in that situation where it's we're not worried about titles, we're just trying to get the thing done. Or, like, did it did it build a sense of camaraderie, or or was it awkward? Did you wish there were those uh, processes? And um, no, at the time, you know. it definitely felt like the right thing to do. Um, it was later on, as like as you hire more people, um, you just you need to start thinking about that stuff. Because when the when the team that's doing the work is only three or four and they're either in person in front of each other or they're always hip chatting or slacking or whatever, uh, it's one thing. But as um, areas of responsibility start growing in the scope of work and you're hiring more people and now you're like more than a dozen working technically like all in like quote unquote tech ops or in engineering, uh, you need to start thinking through those kind of hierarchies because if you don't make them explicit, they will exist implicitly. Like you just, that's not, these are your choices. You can't just pretend that you'll always be a flat org. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's not a totally... thing that can go for very long. Yeah. yeah I, I, um, really I wrote agree. a blog post recently, which, which had a very surprising, uh, uh, a very surprising feed like response. Uh, and I mentioned something in it where it's like, it's like, it's exactly like databases to me. And maybe that's because that's what I work in all the time. So I'm always, that's how I relate to things, but it's like, um, Back when I was um, in New York, that was around the time, 2008-2009 was when NoSQL was starting to really come up and MongoDB was like the, the, the big web scale thing. And people were like, yeah, we don't want schemas. Schemas are, are, are a problem or impediment. We, we're just NoSQL. We don't want SQL. <laughs> um, guess what? It's 10 years later and turns out a database will always have a schema, whether you are explicitly defining it or not, because the way you talk to it will basically make that a thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's the same way for orgs. It's if you're um, if the team is growing that fast, like if you're if you're hiring at the speed of like at least a few people every week, very quickly they will not be able to know each other's names, much less what each of them do and what value each of them brings to the org. If you don't start codifying what those titles are, um, people will just start making presumptions, and that's mm-hmm. not a healthy way to grow. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, want you want explicitness. You want to be thoughtful about that kind of thing. In most cases, you're going to want to have that set up ahead of time, 
or as much ahead of time as possible rather than just letting it happen. Because ideally, I mean, schema, whether you define it or not, that's that's a really exactly. I mean, I'm all, I'm definitely speaking in an idealistic way about it because, like, also, I always wish that databases were always set up in UTC from day one, but who are we kidding? <laughs> so, <laughs> just like that, <laughs> there's, there's the ideal thing to do, and there's reality, and you know, bridging that somehow. So how did that go uh, at SendGrid? Were you involved in the process of building uh, the career ladder? Thank you for reminding me of what the term for that was, because I was like, matrix? Uh, what? Um, but yeah, so were you involved <laughs> in that? And if, if so, how did it go? Was it was it done in a way that made sense to you? So uh, the usual the usual first shortcut when these things start happening, when people start saying, yes, we need some sort of career ladder, because we have people now who have been here for like three, four years, and they feel that they're jobs have been the same. Um, the first step was to sort of, you know, start man defining the manager, the manager side of things. So it's like all the middle management, like manager, senior manager, director, senior director, the VP, stuff like that. Um, this was around the time when I had, uh, I was working um, in the office in our, in our Orange County office for that time. But at that point I needed to move to Florida again for my husband's work. And, uh, I was starting to have these conversations with, with my manager at the time. And I went, I'm not interested yet in managing people management. I understand its value. I'm still interested in the technical stuff. We still have a lot of challenging stuff technically, and I want to keep working on it. And I don't, I don't see us actually putting enough um, thought into that. So at the time I started working, uh, um, I sort of do this thing where I'll try to find resources on what I want to, to try and have those things better explain what I think we should do. Uh, at the, it was around the same time when Camille Fournier had uh, published the uh, full career ladder, the both the non-manager and the manager ones uh, from Rent the Runway when she was there. And mm -hmm. I found that very interesting that she explicitly had the two separate tracks that only meet at the VP spot where it's always about strategy and it doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I took that and I liked that it had a lot of, it didn't just define titles, but it had competencies to go with that. And the competencies and the values that go along with it are very contextual to the to the company that, that had defined them. So in a lot of those cases, they made sense specifically for Rent the Runway. But I just like the, um, the principle of it, of like you codify the values and the behaviors you want to see in the people in those titles so that it's yeah. no longer just, you know, who your boss is and whether they can sell you to the to the calibration committee or what, however it's being done. Oh yeah, so, the idea um, of the promotion packet. We were talking about that somewhere recently. It's like people hate having that that approach. You know, this you have to well, put together I mean, the it's still profile. A thing because it's still a thing, but it's nice to have it backed up by a codified public thing of like these are the the metrics we are watching for. So mm -hmm. it, it's, I think it's still, it's still both are needed, but you don't, I definitely don't subscribe to the idea of promotion packet with zero information around it. So you have to sort of just guess as to what it is people are actually looking for. Yeah. But in these scenarios, yes. like a lot of people, you either end up, so what if your boss is terrible at, at talking about how awesome you are, you know, then, then you're screwed. <laughs> I feel like, you know, there's got, I, I, what you're saying is there are these, there's this, you know, set of principles that, that show whether you're ready for the next level, whatever that level is. And, you know, your boss can talk you up a bit, but that, all that stuff should be, you know, easy, easy and clear to measure. Obviously in reality, that's not ever really true, but, uh, 
the situation with the promotion packets and the like having to give a presentation about your staff to get a promotion for them that that ought, it really does kind of give you give you a benefit if your boss is good at that and if it's not then you might suffer yeah it's i mean as always these things will come down to who the people specifically involved are um but starting off starting everybody off where the organization has slightly more more um explicit explanation of what these titles mean other than just the title is still a better head start than oh yeah just, i think yeah, we agree we have we have, <laughs> we have staff yeah exactly so so that's where it started and i that's when i was like hey i'm i would like to see us have a, a ladder that's not just you know engineer senior engineer and then manager um this was also the time when i was like i don't like we should not talk about manager as a promotion like this is this is why this is why this ladder right now makes it look like it's a promotion but really it's it's, it's a different career yeah it's a different um, set of skills and yep uh so, so that was so what does that Go ahead. look like rogue I'm sorry. So what does that look like right now, Sylvia? Like what are what are your responsibilities as a principal engineer? What what kinds of leadership do you exert in the organization? So uh, so I, when when the ladder finally got put together um by the engineering leadership, I wasn't actually part of those conversations. I was still senior engineer at the time. We ended up splitting the engineering levels to four levels and then we have separately we had at the time separately principal engineer and principal engineer 2, which now translated into PE and senior PE in, in Twilio, uh, but they're pretty much the same thing. And um, the way it translates is um, we basically see the PE role as more of a role model than anything. Um, for example, my my day-to-day responsibilities are no longer about you know GitHub merges and PRs and writing code. In fact, uh, over the last year, I've been a PE for almost a year and a half now, and over the last year, it has felt more and more that any time that I spend heads down on code, not talking to anybody for like a few days at a time, that is actually a disservice because A, I'm creating a knowledge silo in my head. This code has no, has not been seen by anybody else yet. I'm the only one who knows how to use it. I definitely cannot use, put that in production like this. Um, and B, um, there's a lot of institutional knowledge that I should be spending time sharing and, you know, explaining to other engineers who are not as senior as me, like what are the lessons learned that are making me ask them to do, to solve problem X with approach A instead of approach B. Uh, and that is more important. That's more valuable to the That's company. Super at this interesting. Point. Like you're, you're almost, or almost exactly uh, um, an internal evangelist for the engineering team. Is that how you would describe it? It seems like that oh. to me. Like never you're... thought of it this way, but yeah, like a cheerleader a little bit, yeah. But I mean, you're you're uh, explaining the I... value of what's going on, and um, I mean, I, I feel as though the 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 first part where you're talking about the time. If I spend time writing code, I'm probably doing the wrong thing. It's an interesting, um, you know, an interesting way to look at it, and I I would I doubt that a lot of people think of it that way. But uh, and I would like to talk about that also in a minute. But the idea that your job is less about making new technology happen and more about explaining and discussing the decision-making process, setting context. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's super because interesting. Because leaders yeah. set context in terms of go work on this thing, but you're setting context in terms of these are how this is how all the pieces work together. Is that accurate? Exactly. Uh, this makes more sense as the as as we get bigger. So, like, I 
a principal engineer, like that title, you put it on someone in a company that's a total of 20 people, it's probably not going to mean this. It's going to mean, okay, yeah, yeah. we have so much, so many things to fix. And, you know, these are the most senior people we have. Uh, in the context of, uh, of, of Sengard, where we have like, I think 130 engineers, I could be off by a mm -hmm. dozen or so, maybe even by the time when we publish this, but uh, <laughs> north of 100 engineers. Um, and in my specific case, and that's a bit of an outlier, I was the only DBA in the company for years. So um, I had a lot of context in my head around why certain things work a certain way and why certain pieces of the architecture look that way that were very um, tribal and not well-documented. Um, I, I learned very quickly that I cannot do the more valuable thing to the company where I get to explain to the new hires uh, what are the mistakes of the past and how to avoid them unless we expanded the team. And so when we expanded the team, the DB, uh, the DB ops team, I found myself doing that for my own team members. So that's where I realized that I'm better off not fixing things myself, but explaining to someone else the way they're broken and let them fix it. Because that way there's more people who understand these, you know, arcane corners of the stack right now. Yeah, and, and the, what you said about like, well, this role is, is somewhat different at a much smaller scale, right? Is It's sort of like a slider because you still, I mean, it's still my personal belief that if you're the most senior engineer at a place, you know, what, no matter what your title is, it is some of your job to spread the knowledge, to bring people up and help them level up to you, not just write code. And I think a lot of people disagree about that, exactly. especially engineers who don't want to talk to other people. Uh, but who are great engineers otherwise. Uh, but I feel like they're lacking some sort of sense or a skill or limb when they can't share what it is they know so that more people can do it. Um, but that that slider kind of goes all the way over to, you know, the territory that you're in where your background and knowledge are more valuable as you share them than they are as you making more of them for yourself kind of thing. Um, um that that blog post that I wrote actually like at some point made it to Hacker News, thankfully on a Sunday, so it didn't get that much attention because I was a little weirded out by that. RIP your mentions, <laughs> but that was the part. <laughs> <laughs> that, that exactly that was the part. Like the the overall reaction was actually pretty positive to it, but that particular part where I explained that principle is not senior senior, like it's just not like extra senior mm -hmm. uh, engineer. Uh, that's the part that I got some pushback on from some some dudes on Twitter um, <laughs> where they were like, no, like the code is important. Like, what are you talking about? You're not supposed to code. What are you doing? Like, you're just inflating roles and you're not going to remember anything of how to build things. Um, I didn't say, no, you should never, ever code, but you should not, like, if you're going to be a principal engineer, do not stand in the critical path of getting things to production. Your job is to help people move forward without you sometimes and you're saying um, there were dudes on the internet on twitter that had <laughs> shocking i know it's shocking. terrible <laughs> terrible terrible well so how did you how did you learn this sylvia what what was the was it just being with the organization through growth was there a you know particular hard lesson that you had to learn this way or did you just intuit your way into this how did you figure this out is does something stick out in your mind as the the moment where this started to click all of the above. Um, 
So the growth was definitely a big part of it. Uh, when I started at Sengrid, so it, at first it started with the technical stuff, with the code stuff. When I started at Sengrid, I was uh, rolling out the databases by hand, as most shops still do apparently. Like you, you, you provision a server and then you go and you have a Google Doc and you run a bunch of commands by hand. Uh, now, mind you, this was six years ago, maybe five years ago. So configuration management was still not as ubiquitous as it is right now. Definitely not for databases. Chef was still in growing phases. It was still like Chef 10 at the time. Um, fast forward after a couple of years on the job, uh, we were about to embark on a, uh, on a big project that was going to involve uh, a horizontally sharded MySQL. Uh, there was not a whole lot of tooling in the community at the time to manage the kind of thing. And I found myself looking, basically, it's the only engineer on the team, uh, the only DBA on the team, and uh, facing uh, having to provision a few hundred instances within a few weeks. Um, so that pushed me to learn configuration management. But what I realized after I like started learning Chef, wrote my first cookbook, and then had to rewrite that cookbook a couple of times because I had made mistakes, uh, <laughs> It's not just about the configuration management that it's, it's it's larger than that. It's like when when things break outside of the configuration management code path, people still don't know what to do, and I'm the only person who knows. Um, burnout became a concern at that point, and I realized that unless I start loosening my like old style DBA grip on things, <laughs> I will never actually get to do anything else. And uh, that that's how I basically was like, yeah, I I need to start having you know teaching other people how to do this because it's not it's not I can't continue being on call 24 7 for the yeah, databases it's not that you might not ever get to do anything else it's like you might die <laughs> yeah the, this right? is like the the normal path to be becoming comfortable with delegation for leaders it's like, is oh, like oh this sucks uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I was the best it's at always self-preservation yeah, yeah. That's right. Self-preservation. Absolutely. Totally. That's, that's and you're, you know, you're like, oh, this is so rational. I should probably, you were probably like, oh, God, <laughs> before this all explodes. Yep. Yeah, totally. Yep, basically. So, I mean, it, it ultimately ended up becoming a good thing. I don't think I would have ever made uh, the title of PE until we had hired more people on the team. Uh, so it took us a while. Um, now I should say that I wasn't just solo DBA and like no and was actually on call twenty four seven. We had a group of consultants who have helped us for years and were my frontline on call. Mm -hmm. But still, like there's a there's always going to be a difference between the the team of consultants that are on call for you and the person being in house in charge and responsible for all these things, especially when it comes to databases. Totally. And so, um, how did you how did you make your point? How did you get this transformation to happen? How did you get them to hire more people instead of just like letting you die? Uh, so in my case, I didn't have to convince anybody. Well, that's great. Uh, it was just more of a, yeah, I mean, uh, kudos to 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 management and senior leadership at, at Sengrid, now Twilio Sengrid. Like, that was not a concern. That's awesome. Uh, we, went, we've, we went for a very long while. Like, we were able for a while to basically segregate the work where on-call and the interruptitis work was going to the consultant team. And I could sort of try to step back and do slightly more strategic things, but even that could only go so far. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it was around my five-year anniversary uh, mark with the company where we're like, yeah, this team needs to be a team now. Uh, we have gone over the last couple of years from just me to five of us now. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm officially yeah. like for the last you know few for the last few months I've started 
getting farther and farther. I don't touch the code as much anymore. I let the rest of the team um, do that. And I focus more on uh, planning, um, you know, things that are one year out, a little more than a year out. Uh, I've been able to join our architecture team, which helps guide architecture positions and strategy uh, for the company. And none of this stuff would have happened if I didn't have um, a team helping do the the day-to-day stuff Mm -hmm. with me. And and you, at that time that you, you started to hire people, that was the time at which you were like, Hey, I'm not actually interested in management. Did that all line up that way? Or how was that decision made? Like I would have expected them to be like, well, you're in charge of these people because you know what they're going to be doing. And then you'd be (laughs) screwed. You know, it's funny how that always happens. Right. So Uh this is, this is the funny part. Um, At the time this did come up and it was a valid like fork in the road. Like it's, it's a valid thing to, um, to, to, you know, consider. Mm -hmm. Um, There was still a lot of uh, technical stuff going on that I was really interested in solving. I, I just didn't feel that I had it in me to, um, to do the uh, to people management yet. So I remember telling uh, our VP at the time that, nah, I'm not interested in that. Let's let's focus on doing the, the technical side and we'll hire a manager. We ended up hiring a manager for the team specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, he's awesome. I've been working closely with him for a year and a half now. And um, uh, the funny part is that about once, once we hired him, uh, my current manager, and we flushed out the team and we hired like a couple of level one junior DBAs who, um, who get to enjoy all the day-to-day stuff um, and a couple other senior engineers. At that point, I'm starting to do more strategy things. And um, it was literally last week when I was like, yeah, I can't touch this thing that's broken because my calendar is a mess. I have meetings all the time. And that's when I just went, oh, I'm a manager <laughs> You just don't <laughs> have my, people that you tell what to do. And my boss... <laughs> Exactly. My boss, I kid you not, was like, yeah, hi. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, You're, you're that's, catching that's up to the reality. That's hilarious. I know. It was like, oh, I'm doing all that stuff. I just don't have to do performance reviews. Mm-hmm. Although, no, actually, that's not true. I still get involved in those. I just don't mm-hmm. sign any. Um, yeah. It's basically that. That's what it's like. That's that was a big actually uh, motivation for writing that blog post. It was more because I wanted to just spit out all that stuff that's been swirling in my head for months. It's like, yeah, once you get to a certain uh, level of expertise, the technical stuff is actually like you ultimately you can do whatever you want mm-hmm. with it. It's the people stuff. It's coordinating a large group of people to row in the same um, direction, and you know managing all of the different contexts because you know if i'm if i'm talking to if i'm seeing blueprints or plans for things that span five six teams and i'm able to see uh, some possible conflict of timelines or cost possible conflict of designs and i'm able to grab people from those of those teams and get them to notice what's going on to sort of like get ahead of a problem down the line that's way more valuable than me sitting down for a month in a in my own little cave working. Totally. Um, so yeah, so, while while some some people some people push back on that, and I'm like, no, our jobs is not to sit down and write code. Our jobs is to make sure value is delivered. Mm-hmm. 
So Sylvia, you, you, no, that's great. So, so you've gotten to this point and I mean, you're a person of significant authority in, you know, this organization and especially in your particular part of this organization, um, you know, this podcast being called authority issues. We, we, we always like (laughs) to ask, just talk about how you feel about having that authority and, uh, you know, what's your relationship with authority in general? How do you feel about having authority over others? And then also other people having authority over you. I I actually don't usually think of it as the word authority. I don't know. In my mind, it kind of, it has a connotation of just telling people what to do, which is not really how these things are supposed to work. Um, I do supposed think, to be an important yeah. word. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I'm lucky. I work with awesome people who really do listen. You know, all the way up to like the CEO. Like Samir is a great guy, and I've talked to him a bunch of times. And I'll sometimes when I catch him in company um, get togethers and I'll tell him about something that's worried, that's worrying me or something that I think is a concern. And he's always very receptive. So it starts from, from that all the way through the executive team. Um, so we've never really, like, I think the word authority is not a word we generally use at, at, at Sengrid. Um, but maybe it, partly because you have some baggage around what that term means. Yeah, it's that's possible. that's interesting. That's that's, yeah. that's part of answering uh, the question is the way you feel about it isn't particularly great, at least that mm-hmm. particular but word. But you're authoritative. Yeah, not that particular word. But I, I am. I have been no, called that. No, I don't that. mean like I'm describing you <laughs> uh, as authoritative in your manner. I mean, you know stuff about their infrastructure that, that uh, you know, that makes you an authority on that. And so one of the things that's part of your job is to uh, to use that authority, that authoritativeness to uh, to share what should be done. Like in that scenario where you described, I noticed looking at this architecture document or looking at the schedule or them together that this is going to there was going to be a problem. And you use your authority to go and talk to all these teams and say, hey, you got to sort this out. Like, how do you feel about having that kind of authority? Well, I mean, the explicit part is is that basically what you described. It's like trying to get ahead of, of issues um, around delivery and stuff like that. Um, the other one, which I like to be more more conscious of and not just take for granted, is the fact that um, I've been around for a while. So I already know a lot of the people who have also moved up in their career at Zengrid. And so uh, I try to make sure that... Uh, in conversations with everybody, especially with new hires, that I always give context as to like why things are the way they are, because it's too easy for for to to just be like, yeah, like that thing is terrible, like like it's just terrible, but that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like reasons, explaining reasons behind why a thing is built a certain way, uh, trying to make sure that especially like if it's if it's newly hired engineers who are maybe excited, but also showing that excitement by wanting to, you know, show us that they know stuff, like not, not to let the, the muscle for judging everything post-fact take over, mm-hmm. if that helps. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it doesn't help. Yeah, the, 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 the Monday morning quarterbacking over everything does, is not helpful. Like, there's reasons, but let's focus on, you know, making the thing better, not on how terrible it is. Sure. And just and like to kind of go into what you're talking about, people doing something new or something hard or trying something new and you being the authority uh, in terms of knowledge. It, yeah, not, not jumping down on every error and saying, oh, this is wrong, but instead encouraging the growth also is a like part of leadership, I think. Like that. That's a big one. Yeah. So 
some companies will do this where they'll they'll basically make the smartest person be like the whatever the title is they're using like team lead principal engineer mm-hmm. staff engineer um if the person does not have the empathy gene towards hey this other person has not done this before there's a reason why they don't see the landmine coming up so maybe i should warn them nicely and not just wait and watch right. them trip on it yeah and then laugh mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not cool totally yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, that's another thing about like being PE in my mind is like, it's not about, you know, just waiting in the lurches for some, for the, for the junior people to fail, just come up from the bushes and just wait. It's not about hazing the new kids, Kendall. (laughs) I mean, at least at Sandgrid, it's not that. There probably are organizations where that is explicitly the expectation. There so are. You're absolutely correct about that. And it's awful. Now that doesn't mean that hazing doesn't doesn't accidentally happen. I remember giving um, our first level one in DBA on the team. Like I like I sat in that I scheduled a couple of hours because we have a lot of databases. They do very different things, um, and I wanted to try to give him as much architectural knowledge as possible. And actually, in hindsight, I felt like I like that was a hazing in its own because the poor dudes eyes were glassy at the end of it because it was just like, so I'm much never information gonna remember all this. but at least it was good <laughs> <laughs> well and it's it's easy for you to spout off because it's a world you live in and it's it's years and years and years of accrued knowledge and this 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 poor person sitting oh, there God, just yes. eyes wide going am i supposed to know yeah, definitely <laughs> time zones alone I've been on the other side of that yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well, let's, uh, let us, so, like, stuff is going to be complex enough as it is. Right. They're going to come across it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> At least you're going to be available to them to help them out later. <laughs> Sometime. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so let us, <laughs> let us move on to um, some, some lighter subjects, perhaps. Uh, for example, assuming you have time outside of work, what, what are your hobbies outside of work? I have three children. <laughs> oh, you, you twins. <laughs> two, two of whom are... I do. My the twins are two and a half years old. So wow. So those are your yeah. hobbies. So your 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 hobbies are alone chasing. Time. <laughs> oh chasing. God! What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I kid you not. I have taken two Fridays in a row so far to try and take like a me day. Like the kids are in daycare slash school, and I'm going to take a me day. And in both cases, I've ended up with. Um, either one of my kids, like the older one home from school or just sick and home yeah. from school. So I have just given up on the yeah. idea. Like this is, I schedule, this I schedule is a massage and now I feel Yeah, that's right. And then and you have to go pick your kid up sick from school. To, to just today, yeah. Sylvia, the school called uh, my wife and said, your son has a fever. And she said, how high is it? That's not high enough for me to come pick him up. You need to oh figure it out. <laughs> No, I absolutely. And I was, I was very <laughs> impressed with that. What's that? Yeah, I don't. I don't keep the kid at home unless it's north of a hundred. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> you and, have more important um, things to do. You know, the nurse took him back and checked him again later, and the fever had gone down. And she was like, "Ha ha!" Vindicated. So, uh, <laughs> you yeah, wanted, I, you I, wanted I, to I, trick I me into that. picking him up. <laughs> that's right. Oh man, so. 
we we love our children. I, I want to be explicit about that in case they more power to you day. both. No, seriously. <laughs> there, but for the grace of Yehu, go on. I. I know. See, Rachel is Rachel. We can't see her, but Rachel is pointing and laughing. Right? <sighs> I'm just looking very. That's, that's right. She's doing the job. On the of a principal engineer at certain organizations, the pointing and laughing. <laughs> that's right. The hazing. Uh, the hazing. <laughs> so how how is becoming a leader? How is growing in this organization and and uh, discovering, you know, what, what matters and what works in terms of communication and leadership. How has that affected your personal life? Has it at all? And is it positive or negative, do you think? I, I feel like now that, like, since I still have young kids, it's more about, you know, what I've learned in incident response. <laughs> that's more portable. Totally. To personal- <laughs> the child has just exploded. Let's retro this toy fight. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait till the rest of this comes out. So tell us about an incident response and how you... Seriously, <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> Use the rules of incident response. Who is the commander? <laughs> oh, God. Blameless postmortem. Oh, that seems, that sounds like not just another blog post, but an entire like children's book about, about incident response. Oh my God! Oh my Rachel, gosh! There needs to be a children's book called Incident Response. Fantastic. Yes, Sylvia, please write this for, book. Parenting for <laughs> operations. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna phone a friend to my friend Sue Allspaw Pomeroy for that one. She she's she's gonna have opinions on this. Super. I just want you to illustrate it. That's oh, my one request. It should be matched up with <laughs> all of those pictures of like there's a there's like a Twitter account or a Tumblr account of like reasons my child is crying. And like all the photos from that, oh. that would be fantastic. All right. Well, now we all yeah. have an assignment. <laughs> yeah. well, okay. So if we had, if money were no object, Sylvia, uh, what would you do with your life? Would you do something dramatically different? Would you write a, a children's book? No, I'm too much of a nerd. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. No. Yeah. Would you run the world's biggest yeah. database? Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You're just like. I really don't know. I've never thought about that one. Yeah. Uh, I, I I have a bad habit of not being able to PTO accurately, like to the point where my friends will yell at me and threaten to get me, like to disable my account on Slack. People don't, like people listening to this, do not do this. That's not advisable. PTO accurately. You don't actively take, you. yeah, you don't actively take oh, good time off. Oh, I thought you said accurately. Like, and even when you try, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like, but like. You don't like, know how to do it right. You're you're bad at time off, and when you try and when you try to get good at it, your kids interfere. Yeah, exactly. Like unless it involves packing bags for everybody and getting out of town, I'm probably gonna just be bored and get on Slack and look at work things anyway. Oh, that's not a good thing to it's advertise. Not okay. No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it it's <laughs> there are organizations out there right now that are making a list yeah. adding Sylvia to it. If we need somebody who works, wait too. Yes, hard. that's right. Uh, no, down, no. Vacation. Uh, what you need is team members <laughs> who will call you out on it, and thankfully I have those. Yeah, that is actually really helpful. Yeah, I, I also good. have the same. People are like, yeah. "You're not supposed to be online today." Okay. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, yeah. So Sylvia, I mean, we need to look towards wrapping up here for time's sake. Uh, is there anything we should be asking that we're not asking? Do you, do you, is there a thing that you want to talk about on an authority issues podcast that we didn't think to ask? Um, no, uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm just, 
the first thing I said to Rachel when she asked me to come on the podcast, like, but I don't manage people. And she's like, you have opinions. And I go, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's leadership. Leadership not does not equal manager. Have, They're not the right. same thing. You have well so thought out opinions. People need to stop that. Yeah. They're not just opinions. You have experience and, and, and carefully. Yeah, exactly. Informed opinions. So I'm very glad that you were willing to come well, on. And not just that. If if you're gonna if you want to become a principal engineer, you need to you need to be aware that it involves leadership, whether you like it or not. Yeah, amen, amen to that. That's a good that's a that's it, a good pull quote right there. Yeah, Maybe that will definitely that go in the, in the show notes. Later, and speaking of show notes, um, where can people find you on the internet? So my blog, which I mentioned already, uh, it's blog.dpspecial.com. You should you'll be able to find there that uh, that post that have. Um, Costs quite a stir. <laughs> got you all the um, I'm also on Twitter. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter at DP Smasher. Although that stream of consciousness sometimes involves me breaking all sorts of technology, <laughs> like Smasher. literally. I, I I should I should moonlight as a QA for everybody's infra. You have no idea. <laughs> um, and uh, and sometimes tweeting about what the twins are doing, because there's always weird things that the twins are doing. Yes, I can definitely corroborate that. well awesome (laughs) thank you very much thank you both